It has been less than 72 hours since Saturday's surprise assault on Israel. Hamas claims they have now taken over 150 hostages. And President Biden said today that Americans may be among them. Also today, Hamas said they will execute one civilian hostage and broadcast their killing every time Israel targets civilians in Gaza without warning. Horrifying videos released over the past few days show Hamas fighters seizing women, children, seniors, and their families. Among them are the wife and two young daughters of a father who told me just yesterday, they are my babies. For a parent, it's the most horrific thought. Tonight, I will speak to a woman whose five family members were kidnapped from their homes and are now being held hostage by Hamas. The hostages are reportedly being held in locations spread across Gaza, which further complicates what the Israeli defense minister referred to this morning as plans for a full siege on Gaza. He also promised a full blockade, saying, quote, no power, no food, no gas. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we act accordingly. Today, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned that the images of devastation and destruction we have seen over the last few days are just the beginning. The IDF said they have called up at least 300,000 military reservists since the start of the attack, which could be in preparation for a potential ground operation. So far, more than 1,000 people have been killed in the fighting, including more than 260 people at a music festival where members of Hamas gunned down attendees and left their bodies strewn across the desert. At least 700 people are dead in Israel, including at least 11 American citizens and more than 600 in Gaza. Those numbers are going to rise in part because all of the dead and missing are not accounted for, including American citizens, and in part because this is now a tinderbox where the fighting is escalating with every hour that passes. There are also growing concerns tonight about this conflict expanding into bordering countries. Explosions were heard for several hours today in the border region between Israel and Lebanon. As Israel's Air Force said, it was striking Lebanese territory using combat helicopters. Lebanon's Hezbollah militant group says several of their fighters were killed and they fired back. Also tonight, new concerns about Iran's possible role in all of this. After the Wall Street Journal reported Hamas leadership claimed that Tehran directed them to launch Saturday's surprise attack. That has been denied by by other members of Hamas as well as by Iran. And the White House maintains there's no evidence of a direct link at this point. So if you're sitting in the White House tonight, and I've sat in the White House on nights similar to this, a White House that is now lit with the blue and white of Israel— You've been in a series of roving meetings since Saturday morning. You've barely slept as you weigh the absolute devastation being felt by a close ally. The fear of the family members with loved ones taken by Hamas and the American citizens who may be among them. You're considering the need to move quickly and how quickly you can move to reinforce the military needs of Israel and meet their requests. To do all of that without a Speaker of the House, and without clarity, because we've never been at this moment before, on whether Congress has the authority to support additional aid. The president and national security officials have been on the phone. I promise you they are on the phone constantly, not just with their counterparts in Israel, but also with countries in the region, including those who have direct relationships with Hamas, like Egypt and Qatar. You're also continuing to assess the role of not just Iran, but Iranian proxies, including Hezbollah. This is all on the mind of President Biden as he prepares to speak to the country tomorrow afternoon. Starting us off tonight is MSNBC's chief correspondent, Ali Velshi, in Tel Aviv, Israel. Ali, thank you so much for being with us and also for being on the ground, bringing all of us the reporting. So tell us, what's the latest on what you've been seeing over the past couple of hours? 
Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're there to be able to give us a sense of what is going on, what people are thinking about it. What's happening on the ground here is it's getting worse. Um, several things are happening. Uh, a few hours ago, we had uh, incoming missiles from Gaza, rockets from Gaza. We heard the Iron Dome system working eight times in a row. We've heard jets uh, going down. We know that there have been constant attacks. Last night, 500 of them uh, on, on sites that the Israeli Defense Forces say are Hamas uh, military uh, sites or or operational sites. We also know that civilians are getting killed. The death toll in Mm -hmm. Gaza has gone up. And as you said, uh, Hamas has said that if this happens again without warning, they'll start executing hostages. And the hostages are central to this operation. The bottom line here is that there is a combination of grief and fear uh, and deep emotion in in Israel right now. Things that people say they haven't felt since 1973. They've called up 300,000 reservists. Now, they'd already called up reservists because they've been having skirmishes in the West Bank for 10 months. So they're actually short of reservists. El Al has sent flights to bring people who are in the reserves back to Israel so that they can be uh, they can they can join the fight. Everybody is very, very scared about what happens next. Mostly, though, Benjamin Netanyahu came out here. He warned every, he warned the folks in Gaza to leave. They can't leave, as you know. And, mm. and he says that what they are going to do to Gaza is going to echo for the generations. Well, that's a tricky military exercise, because what do you do? How do you get into Gaza, especially when there are hostages there? There's a lot of unknowns tonight, but it's getting it's getting it's feeling worse. As you said, people can't leave there because there's been a blockade on both sides. So it's it, it basically impossible to leave. I also wanted to ask you, Ali, you've been covering the region for so yes. long. There's also been a back and forth today uh, be, at the Israeli-Lebanon uh, border. Why does that matter? And what are you paying attention to there? Well, it matters because the last serious war that Israel had was with Hezbollah on the on the Lebanese side. Hezbollah has proven military capability. Hamas didn't. I mean, what Hamas did, there are going to be all sorts of questions as to who helped them and who trained them. They didn't have the sort of capability they, they, they have now. Hamas has that. Uh, and that's a real war. So there were uh, on Saturday, uh, Hezbollah sent a couple of rockets into Israel. It was more of a sort of a sympathy. We're on your side thing. It wasn't a, a real attack of any sort. It's been going on for a couple of days. There were some uh, incursions today. A, a, an Israeli commander was actually killed in it today. So they're very worried about whether or not um, Hezbollah joins this fight, because then Israel would have a fight on its northern border and its southern border. And things are heating up in the West Bank again. There have been, I think, four shootings at checkpoints just tonight. So Israel is now potentially looking at a fight on three sides in a country that's already strapped for reservists. You know, it's getting military aid from the United States, which it always has. But that's not what it needs. Israel doesn't need more sophisticated military ability. It just doesn't need a fight on three sides. So they're worried about that. And the potential for expansion there, too, which is concerning for all of us. Ali Velshi, thank you for being there. Thank you for being with us tonight from Tel Aviv. And we'll look forward to watching more of your reporting throughout the evening. And tonight, we learn President Biden will deliver a speech tomorrow afternoon on the terrorist attacks in Israel and the response. And joining me now from the White House is John Kirby. He's the National Security Council's coordinator for strategic communications. So uh, it's John Kirby, I've known you for so long. Uh, We learned tonight that the president is going to speak tomorrow, uh, which I know that means that it's a very late night of writing, rewriting, editing for everyone. He wants to get this right. What, What can we expect to hear from him tomorrow? I think you can expect him to make it very clear 
uh, how much we do stand solidly in support of, of Israel. He'll talk about uh, the, the conversations that he's had with Prime Minister Netanyahu, the importance of making it clear to the prime minister how solidly we stand behind them, the support that we are providing and will likely have to provide in coming days uh, and weeks. And I think you'll also hear him talk uh, very plainly about our concerns over Americans there in Israel. Obviously, we now have 11 families, American families, that got the worst news possible today uh, and yesterday. And we have some Americans that are unaccounted for, uh, and we are concerned that they could be among the hostages that Hamas is holding. And I think you'll hear the president talk in very heartfelt tone uh, about the importance to get all the information possible on these Americans, get uh, in communication with their families and do whatever we can to get them home. It's so heartbreaking and horrifying to be in a White House and in a government and talking about American citizens you can't identify and trying to get more information. Is there anything more you've learned? Uh, you mentioned 11. Are there any additional uh, uh, Americans you've identified? Anything you've learned about hostages that may be held there since earlier today? No, I wish I had an update for you, Jen, but we don't. We've been working on this very, very hard, feverishly, with Israeli officials. And obviously, we're hearing from lots of family members who are calling in and uh, asking if they have anything on their family members. That's also, that helps us get a gauge of, of how many are out there. I don't want to get into the numbers, but there are a number of uh, Americans who are unaccounted for. We don't know if they're just lost or missing uh, or, or, or even hurt. And we certainly don't know if they're being held hostage, but that is a concern right now. Well, there are many, many, many dual citizens uh, living in Israel, so uh, I would anticipate those numbers will go up. I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I've worked for President Biden, spent a lot of time with him. You're working for him and have worked for him for some time. I know he is very hard at work on the phones, but he's also consuming these same horrifying images we're all seeing. You're seeing members of the national security team is seeing. He, he's also a human being. Uh, how, how is he doing in this moment? Uh, th this is a grave situation, and the president understands that, and nobody has been a bigger supporter of Israel or the Israeli people than Joe Biden, for sure. So this is very painful for the president to watch and to see happening uh, to a country and to a people who he dearly loves and respects. It's painful, and it's hard for all of us here. Uh, and that's easy to say because I'm here on the North Lawn, but obviously we know the real pain and the real agony, the real suffering is going on where Ali is tonight inside Israel, where, where people are really grappling with violence of an escalating nature uh, every single hour. So we're, we're mindful of that. And we want to make sure, and I think, again, you'll hear the president talk about this, uh, uh, that the American people know how seriously we're taking this. And you're right, Jen, he has been uh, on the phone almost all day, certainly over the last couple of days, getting updates from his national security team, talking to foreign leaders. He had a call this afternoon with uh, the leaders of uh, Great Britain, Germany, Italy, and France, uh, the so-called Quint uh, conversation, to make sure that we're all lashed up with our, our European allies and partners as well in terms terms of coordinating our efforts to support Israel going forward. I know very much front and center for him and all of you are the possibility that there are Americans among these hostages, as well as the hostages who are Israeli and other nationalities being held. And I know the president has also said that he wants uh, to help uh, do everything he can to address this hostage crisis. Part of these conversations you've been having and national security officials have been having have been with the Qataris, Egyptians and others who do have direct contact with Hamas. Has part of those conversations been about negotiating the return of some of these hostages? We have certainly been in touch with uh, partners in the region uh, about uh, what they can do to to help 
with this hostage situation. And, and like you said, it's not just Americans uh, that are of concern. There are many nationalities represented in the hostage population, we believe. Uh, and so, yes, we are having those conversations. I, I won't uh, detail here uh, wh- where those conversations are going, uh, but we are actively working in that space. Uh, it's a very, very sensitive uh, situation right now, as in addition to the hostage taking, which is clearly part of Hamas's plan, uh, there's a lot of violent fighting going on in and around uh, them as well. Uh, well, well, certainly one of the ways to connect with Hamas is is through these counterpart through these other countries who do talk directly with them. We learned that the U.S. is sending uh, Navy ships closer to Israel. This has been confirmed. You've been talking about this uh, as a show of support. There's also this question, and you and I have both dealt with this in the past, about the consideration of whether Americans are safe there, whether it's an ordered departure or the evacuation of Americans. Mm-hmm. Is that an active discussion that's happening within the administration at this point in time? Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the State Department is uh, trying to keep in touch with as many Americans as they can to make sure that they know consular access. Uh, administrative support is available through the embassy, keeping them informed about the security situation on the ground, making sure that they uh, that they take the appropriate steps to look after their own safety. Uh, there are still many viable options for Americans who may want to leave Israel. Uh, airport is still open. Not all commercial carriers are flying out of Ben Gurion, but but many are, particularly international air carriers. And there's still some viable ground routes so if people wanted to leave Israel uh, via road. Uh, that's still possible uh, as well. But we are actively uh, talking, making sure that people know what the options are, and we're thinking through uh, whatever contingencies might might have to occur. You've spent a lot of time explaining military assistance uh, to the public, uh, Kirby. And I I wanted to ask you, there are reports that Israel has requested Iron Dome intercepts, small diameter bombs, ammunition, and others. Are are all of these requests uh, ones that the president would be supportive of? Will we hear more from him tomorrow on which of these he will be granting? There's all, there's already one first tranche. Now I say first tranche, as you know, we've been providing uh, security assistance to Israel for quite some time. But since these attacks, there's already a new tranche of uh, material going to Israel as you and I speak. I don't know that it's arrived yet, but it's definitely on the way. And it does include uh, interceptor missiles, uh, uh, some artillery ammunition and other types of munitions that we know will be uh, important for the Israeli defense forces. And we are having active, almost iterative conversations uh, with Israeli officials, particularly on the military side, about what their needs might be going forward in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, and we'll keep that conversation going to make sure that we can replenish their stocks uh, as in near real time as possible, because they are obviously expending a lot of these munitions in some of these attacks. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about the uh, what we saw in the fire that was traded on the border of uh, Lebanon today uh, between Israeli forces and uh, members of Hezbollah. Uh, how concerned are you and, and what is happening within the administration to kind of um, bring the temperature down there or reduce the possibility of this escalating into a conflict beyond the borders of Israel? Well, certainly we don't want to see it expand or escalate at all. Uh, and we are concerned about what we're seeing there in the north of Israel coming out of Lebanon. I mean, Hezbollah does not represent the Lebanese people, uh, and they know that. Uh, and I don't think the Lebanese people want to be uh, involved in this conflict. But we are watching this very closely. It is of concern. The first volley was just a few rockets. There seems to be now a little bit more activity here. Uh, it's, it's certainly not uh, in Israel's interest to open up a whole new front here in this war that they're fighting against Hamas down uh, in Gaza. And you talked about just briefly the 
carrier strike group that the president ordered into the Eastern Med. A big reason for doing that, well, obviously to make sure we can continue to protect and defend our own national security interests, but to send a strong signal to other actors in other nation states uh, that uh, we will do what we have to do to protect our national security interests, to obviously uh, to look after uh, those of our allies and partners uh, and to deter them from escalating this or getting involved. Anybody who might uh, feel inimical towards Israel to uh, to jump in here and try to take advantage of it, we want to deter that kind of activity. That's exactly why that strike group is is where it is. John Kirby, thank you for your service. I know this is, these are long days, heartbreaking days, heart-wrenching days. Uh, thank you for joining me this evening. Up next, as the war in Israel continues to escalate, so do the chances for this conflict to expand, as we were just talking about. We've been watching increased rocket strikes at the border between Israel and Lebanon. Former CIA Director John Brennan is standing by with his analysis of the situation on the ground right now. We're back after a very quick break. Today, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu delivered a nationally televised address comparing the horrific actions of Hamas to the terrorist group ISIS and emphasizing that what we've seen so far of Israel's counteroffensive is only the beginning. This is all playing out as tensions escalate on Israel's northern border with Lebanon. Israel has been trading rocket strikes with the Lebanon-based militant group Hezbollah. And today, the Israeli military announced it had, quote, neutralized a number of terrorist infiltrators who crossed from Lebanon into Israel. And just tonight, the IDF put out a statement that one of its deputy commanders was killed in the confrontation. Joining me now is John Brennan. He's the former CIA director under President Barack Obama and a senior national security analyst for MSNBC. So I wanted to start with this speech because obviously he emphasized, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu emphasized Israel's strength, resolves in striking back against Hamas as he's speaking to the Israeli people. He didn't mention the hostages. What did you make of that? Well, clearly, Benjamin Netanyahu was trying to demonstrate strength and resolve in terms of trying to retaliate against Hamas. And it made it clear to me that he was focusing on trying to crush Hamas's leadership as well as destroy any residual terrorist capability that it might have. But as you point out, he didn't make any mention of the hostages, the captives, the, the innocent civilians who were there, as well as trying to avoid any type of unnecessary casualties. And so clearly, I think he is going to follow through on his promises to, you know, have a, a retaliation here that is going to hopefully not uh, bring uh, Gaza to rubble. But uh, it's clear that uh, he is going to move with a vengeance, I think, against uh, Hamas in ways that's going to, I think, put in jeopardy the fate of those hostages. I mean, I mean, to that point, I mean, you have obviously been a part of implementing or planning a number of military operations. Is it is it even possible to implement one of this scale without risking the killing of all of the hostages who are there? It's it's clear that there's no good path forward here. And so I, I can understand why Netanyahu wants to retaliate against Hamas. But he has to take into consideration that, in fact, he may be playing into Hamas's hands. Hamas clearly anticipated that Israel was going to retaliate with vengeance. And so it, is it prepared now for this invading force of, that Israel's pulling together? Uh, so I, I do think that he has to be very mindful that he could make the situation worse. Yes, he has to retaliate. Yes, he has to crush 
as well as terrorist making capability. But at the same time, he cannot just, you know, go in there and just disregard the, the, the fate of these hostages, these captives, these Israelis and others, and the innocent men, women, and children in Gaza. And there are U.S. persons among the Gaza population as well. So again, I, I'm hoping that he's going to be able to use some, some, you know, discipline as far as what he's going to do on the military front. You've been a part of many red teaming, as it's called, many red teaming exercises, as it's called in government, where you play out the scenario. Uh, if the Israeli Defense Forces and Prime Minister Netanyahu go in and they do level Gaza, there's 2.5 million people, 2.5 million to 3 million people there. What happens then? This conflict does not end then. What happens after that? No, I think this is Hamas's plan, is to try to expand this conflict. I think they felt there was a hopelessness because their interests were being ignored, they felt, not just by the Israeli government, but by the outside world, including other Arab states. So I think their intention is to try to broaden this conflict, not only bring attention to the plight of the Palestinians, but to get the other Arab states involved, and also maybe to bring in Hezbollah, Iran, and others. So this is a very, very dangerous time. This can spiral out of control and escalate quite quickly. And that's why we have to make sure that the discussion that's taking place between Washington, the Biden administration and, and Israel is going to be one of support, but at the same time, counseling some restraint so that it does not, in fact, escalate even further. I wanted to ask you about uh, the role of Iran and uh, their proxies. And I know you've said that there's no proof that, that they have been involved. That's what the U.S. government has also said. How does the U.S. government make an assessment, though? They, they've said to date they don't have any knowledge. How do they determine that? How long could it be? What do they look at? I think they're going to go back into the intelligence because there's so much intelligence that is acquired uh, that may be not fully processed. So I think they're going to be looking at the period of time that led up to this attack and to see what role Iran had and to see about the contacts between Iran and Hamas and to see whether or not Iran did more than just provide material support and financing. Because the sophistication of this attack, the planning that went into it, you know, did the Iranian intelligence and security services provide that type of assistance? Did they do some training? And I do think that the Israelis in the United States as well as other intelligence services around the globe are going to be looking very carefully at that, which raises the specter that Israel, in fact, couldn't take action against Iran at some point. It sounds like there's more we could learn there. We don't know yet, but there's a lot of flags here that intelligence services will be looking into. Absolutely. Director Brennan, thank you so much for joining me today and providing Excellent. so much clarity on what's happening. Up next, I'll talk to a woman who is desperately searching for information about her five family members who were kidnapped from their home in Israel over the weekend. She believes they're being held in Gaza, where airstrikes continue tonight. We're back after this. Right now, the hostage crisis in Israel is only growing more dire after a chilling threat from Hamas about possible executions. As of this evening, Israel says more than 150 men, women, and children have been taken against their will to Gaza, and that number could rise. But it's important to remember that behind every number we see is a person with a family, desperate, waiting for some word about what has happened to them and where they were taken, whether they're safe, whether they're alive. Even more heartbreaking are those wanting to learn about multiple family members, families like 12-year-old Arez Calderones. Arez is seen in this video being taken by Hamas militants. He was taken along with his sister, Sahar, his cousin, Noya, their 80-year-old grandmother, Carmela, and her son-in-law, Ofer. Joining me now is one of their family members, Abby Own. She's an American who's been living in Israel for eight years. Abby, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I know it's late there. And I want to just start by asking you how you're doing, how your immediate family is doing right now. 
we're trying to manage the best we can. My immediate family, my ch- I have three children who are somewhere around the house, probably still awake. Um, school is canceled. You know, everything is is stopped to try to to deal with issues at hand. Uh, understandable. I, I, your family that was taken, and I know you've been talking about this and wanting to make sure the American people and public care about it, which is so important, but they range in age from 12 to 80. What can you tell us about them? I, I know Noya has special needs. What else should people know about your family members? They should know that they are humans, that this, you know, that they, that this is not a political situation, that this is humanitarian and that they were taken from their homes in the most horrifying way possible. And that if anything, you know, these are people who are citizens of Israel, who are patriotic, who love each other and love the land and, and, and are in the worst possible position right now. And we just want to help people know about this so that they can help us bring them home safely. Absolutely. And I know that's why you're out there this evening. There's been a lot of video that people have seen out there. I know that you learned about um, Arez uh, and and him being taken and hopefully him being still alive uh, from social media. Tell us a little bit about that, about how you learned. Look, Israel is a, a tiny country at the end of the day, and we're all really, really connected. So once this began, I started sharing information. And one of my good friends, saw the name and was able to make the connection and sent me the video that was posted on social media. It's, it's a super hard time to know, you know, what to trust and and where to look. And there are some really amazing influencers who are trying to get out facts and he somehow got the, the footage and I was able to find out that way. Um, and at this point we're trying, you know, to share the information in all the languages. Carmel is an American citizen. Uh, and as you said, Noya has special needs. This is something that goes against the Geneva Convention. This is children and elderly, and it is an incomprehensible, horrific thing that's happening. And we want people to think about their parents and their siblings and their grandparents and their, and their children. If they were in this situation, what would they want done? They would want them brought home. Of course they would. I'm a mother myself, and I can't even imagine what you and your family members are feeling right now. I know you've talked uh, a lot about this publicly, and you had not, as of my last knowledge, heard from the Israeli government or been in touch with the Israeli government. Has anything changed on that front? Nothing has changed. But as I said, it's a small country, and so we're using every possible back channel to get information. Um, And I want to be optimistic that we're going to find out information soon. And I know, as you've mentioned, that uh, Carmelo is a U.S. citizen. Have you been in touch with the U.S. government? Have they been helpful in any yeah, way um, to you? They, uh, we've been in touch both with the, the U.S. and the French embassies and consulates because she actually has citizenship in both. And um, we're, we're following the protocol, right? We're trying to make sure that all of their names are added and that we're doing the kind of bureaucratic piece that we can. And I feel like, you know, we're checking that box. And this is the more important piece, which is to help the American people understand that this is about people, that this is about our family, and that no one should ever be in this position. You've talked, again, a lot about this, but I think it's so important for people watching to understand what you've been through and what so many people there have been through. You've described hiding in a bunker when the air raid sirens went off. You you came out and started getting messages from your family that Hamas was there in the house. We're all five in the same house. And what are some of the other details that they shared with you at the time? They were in different houses because um, Carmela has three children and one of her grandchildren was staying with her. So it happened that Noya was staying in our house and 
Ofer was uh, with two of his children in his home. And the message we were getting was that, and, and the videos that we were seeing was that Hamas was was in Israel and, you know, thousands of terrorists were taking to neighborhoods and streets and slaughtering people. Uh, and we understood that they were in the house, that they were overturning the home and that they could hear gunshots and they were scared for their lives. Um, and we know now that they burned the kibbutz, that Niraz is physically no longer and that almost half of the inhabitants have, were, were slaughtered. And so while some of the family is still alive and they've moved to other parts of Israel for safety, we're, we're heavily concerned for the five who we believe are in in uh, Gaza. We're now learning of this threat from Hamas regarding hostages that I, I'm sure is very difficult for you to hear about. And I just wanted to ask you, what, what, you, what do you want the Israeli government to be doing in this moment? How—what would you like to be hearing from them? What, what would you like to be seeing them do to bring your family members home? I I think any of us would like more information. I think we would want to know that diplomatic channels are being used. I don't know what diplomatic channels can be used with terrorists. Again, I will say there's a difference between the Palestinian people and Hamas. Hamas is a terror organization, and I don't know how you negotiate with terrorists, but I I want the, the government, and I have to trust in the government and the military to find every possible way to bring these more than 100 hostages home safely. Abby, if your family was watching right now, and I certainly hope that many of them are, uh, what would you want them to hear? What do you want them to know from you and how so many of their family members are, are fighting for them and thinking of them? That we love them, that we have them in our hearts, and that we're doing everything in our power to do everything we can to bring them home, and that they should know that they're not alone, that they're wrapped in love. Abby Ohm, thank you for sharing uh, your family story. I know this is incredibly difficult to talk about. You're incredibly brave and courageous to be doing that. And we're all thinking of you and hoping that they're going to be thank home you. with you soon. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. There are so many stories like Abby's from Israel right now. And right now we're coming up on a 4 a.m. Tuesday in Israel. You're looking at flashes over Gaza from earlier tonight. Israel's defense forces just shared the death toll and the country has increased to at least 900 people. Here at home, President Biden said today he has directed the U.S. government to work with Israeli counterparts on hostage recovery efforts. The Washington Post, Jason Resign, who was once imprisoned for 544 days in Iran, will join me after a quick break. We'll be right back. Hamas says hostages are being held in what they call safe places and the tunnels of the resistance in Gaza. As we've been discussing, they're also threatening to execute those hostages and to broadcast the executions every time Israel targets Palestinian civilians in Gaza without warning. President Biden said today that it's likely that U.S. citizens are among the hostages, but the White House is still trying to confirm those reports. He also said that U.S. officials are working with their Israeli counterparts to recover the hostages. Joining me now is Jason Resign. He's the global opinions writer. He's a global opinions writer at The Washington Post. He also served as Tehran correspondent for the paper and was imprisoned in Iran for 544 days until his release in January of 2016. Jason, thank you. Thank you so much for being with me uh, this evening. I want us to start with, you know, to get your analysis of the hostage situation here and what options the Israelis really have in dealing with Hamas. I mean, they've done prisoner swaps in the past. Is that an option as you look at the situation from your perspective? 
I think prisoner swaps, Jen, are always the first option in these cases. Um, we hear a lot here in the United States about not negotiating with terrorists, not wanting to negotiate with terrorists. Those are two very different things. Ultimately, if we are to bring our citizens home safely, we have to negotiate with their captors. This is such an audacious and really, you know, horrifying act uh, when when you take this many innocent people uh, and hold them against their will, threatening to kill them. It really puts into sharp relief just how big an issue this is uh, at the moment in the United States. And around the world, and I think you know the the best option that that Israel has at this point is to engage in direct negotiations uh, for the release of their citizens, but that's not going to make anybody happy, right? Um, and it is really a, a, a tough option in the absence of a real deterrence policy in Israel, in the United States, or anywhere else in the world. American citizens, uh, as the president said today, could be very well, maybe among the hostages here. And the United States doesn't talk to Hamas either. They have been engaged with the Qataris, the Egyptians and others who do speak to Hamas. They were a bit mum about this when I asked them about it earlier in the show. But explain to us a little bit about how that could work if the U.S. is talking through a, a third country to try to engage with Hamas about the release of hostages. Well, this is the same way that, that we got Americans out of Iran just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Qataris and the Swiss, the Omanis have often played intermediary roles uh, in between uh, groups that don't have direct uh, communications. I think that it's a good sign uh, that, that the Qataris are already uh, involved in, in the conversation. Um, but again, I mean, uh, these are the sorts of things that generally uh, take many months to complete and um, and with the threat of execution uh, so prominently on the table so quickly into this uh, this abduction of people um, it, it is just a very um, gut-wrenching and, and frightening situation You've been covering the Middle East for a long time, and I'm curious to know, and certainly Iran, what your thoughts are on this whole debate or, just, or question as to whether they had knowledge of uh, the attack on Saturday, uh, whether it's direct, they directed it, they supported it. You may not have that level of detail, of course, but what is your gut on that? My gut is that it's hard to imagine that Iran did not uh, have prior knowledge uh, some uh, involvement in in the planning. Uh, this was not something that that was uh, planned in a short period of time. This has been going on likely for months. You know, we hear about the massive intelligence failure, the military failure on the Israeli side. Hamas couldn't pull this off on their own. Um, that being said, uh, you know, Iran uh, is. You know, has a lot of have a reason at this point uh, to not want to raise the ire uh, of the United States uh, and its allies. At the same time, uh, with the uh, the purported uh, Israeli-Saudi normalization um, getting closer and closer, my first thought was, well, there are groups out there that don't want to see that happen, and and one of them being uh, the regime in Tehran. So uh, I think it's impossible to to think that uh, Iran had nothing to do with it. Jason Rezaian, thank you so much for being with me this evening. It's always a pleasure talking with you and hearing your insights. And tonight, back here in Washington, House Republicans convene behind closed doors to discuss who they might try to elect as their next Speaker of the House. We also learn that the House will get a bipartisan classified briefing on Israel on Wednesday. Senator Tim Kaine joins me next to talk through the congressional response to the war in Israel. We're back after a quick break. 
In most international conflicts, especially one happening in a country with a relationship as close to the United States as Israel, there is usually a vital role for the U.S. Congress. But right now, there is no elected Speaker of the House. The Senate has not confirmed an ambassador to Israel. And because of Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold on military promotions, not only is there no confirmed chief of naval operations, but several key roles in U.S. Central Command responsible for our military response in the Middle East aren't in place right now either. Joining me now is Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia. He serves on the Foreign Relations Committee and the Armed Services Committee. Senator, thank you so much for being with me this evening. I wanted to just start there because I can't even imagine how frustrating this must be for you, given how long you've worked on these issues. Senator Tuberville seemed to double down today on his blockade on military promotions at this moment, which is perplexing. But what does that mean, explain to us, for our ability to respond to a crisis like this? Um, Jen, you're right. We've got a double blockade going. Uh, Senator Tuberville is blockading now more than 600 military nominations, including the chief of naval operations. We dispatched the USS Ford carrier from Virginia today to the Mediterranean mm. to try to provide support to Israel to help them in their self-defense. But uh, Senator Tuberville is blocking the uh, nomination of the head of our Navy and hundreds of others. And then we have other Republicans, Senators Paul and Cruz and Vance, blocking key ambassadorial nominations, not only Israel, uh, but uh, Egypt and Lebanon and the State Department's key counterterrorism official. So my hope is uh, this demonstrates uh, in a very stark and real way this is no time for political games. The U.S. needs to have its team on the field. We need to confirm ambassadors, confirm military nominations, and then do what we can as a nation to help our ally Israel defend itself. I, I kind of assumed something might change here and was quite surprised, to be honest, that he doubled down today. Maybe I shouldn't be. But do you think he just doesn't understand or they don't understand the damage they're causing or, or do they just not care? Um, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, Jen. I think that he probably doesn't understand and maybe he doesn't care, but I think other Republicans are starting to. Um, in last week, as we were dealing with the ridiculous shutdown threat by the House GOP and their decision to throw their speaker overboard because he kept the U.S. government open. Uh, I was starting to hear from my Republican Senate colleagues. They're they're getting tired of Senator Tuberville's, uh, you know, shutdown of American military promotion. So uh, we're out in the, the, our states this week talking to folks. But when we get back, um, I think you're going to see this ice jam break and we're going to start to confirming our military. You know, only the Republicans threaten shutdown, only the Republicans threaten default, only the Republicans blockade military and, and diplomatic um, nominations. It's time to quit the games and start uh, leading as a nation and for the Article One branch to do its job. I certainly hope that is the case. Now, Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Ben Cardin, one of your colleagues, of course, is proposing legislation to provide weapons and defensive systems to Israel. They've made a number of requests they've made public as well. Seems to be quite a bit of urgency on the ground. I know you're in the neighboring state here, my home state. Do you think the Senate should return to pass this package yep. this week or, or could they or is it OK to wait until next week? 
Um, if we return, Jen, as you know, it's easier for me than virtually anybody. I'm not, I am not far away, so I'm glad to go back whenever. Um, but look, we do face a little bit of a challenge right now because if we're going to do, I mean, you know, I support strong aid for Israel. I, I helped a broker the, the 10 year MOU to, provide defense support to Israel, the Iron Dome system a few years ago. We helped get it through. And so we have Israel's back. But if the Senate were to do something right now um, as a, additional assistance to Israel, the House can't convene until they pick a speaker. So what I hope is maybe we'll work on the package on the Senate side. The House will get their act together and pick a speaker so they can take up legislation. If we need to go back early, I'm glad to. Or if the House needs to act to pick a speaker so that when we go back, there will be a functioning house that we can send a bill to. Um, I'll let leadership make that call, but uh, I'm not far from D.C. I'll go back anytime. I know, I know you would. There's reporting that some you've also been a strong supporter of Ukraine assistance and funding, which, of course, didn't make it into the package that prevented the government from shutting down. There's some reporting that that could be combined with funding for Israel. Is that something under consideration? Do you think that's a possibility? Um, Jen, I do. And I, I heard Mike McCall, a Republican in the House, who's head of the Foreign Relations Committee there, say that could be a good deal, possibly Ukraine aid, Israel aid, um, border security funding. I can see something like that coming together. Look, we got to stand up against whether it's, you know, whether it's dictators Ill illegally invading Ukraine and violating human rights or terrorists invading Israel and targeting civilians. The chief democracy in the world has to set an example and stand up against it. And it's my hope that we will. The, the good news on the Ukraine front is even though we couldn't get there in terms of Ukraine aid during the continuing resolution 10 days ago, there are votes in both houses, bipartisan, to provide a Ukraine aid package. And so I think the, uh, the notion of the chief democracy in the world standing up to provide aid to our allies against illegal invasions makes a lot of sense. And putting those two together, I think we might find a path through. With the limited time we have left, I wanted to ask you, there are at least 11 American citizens who have been killed in Israel. As, as you and I both yeah. know, that number is likely mm -hmm. to go up, given the number of dual citizens there. Also, reportedly, Americans are among the hostages. Hamas is threatening to execute hostages. Uh, what happened? What should the United States be doing to get hostages back? And what happens if an American is executed by Hamas? Well, Jan, look, um, the, these notions that the Americans are killed and that Americans are hostages are not surprising. I'm, I'm wearing bracelets that I got given during an Israel 75th anniversary celebration at the Jewish Community Center in Norfolk, in Virginia Beach a couple months back. Our nations are allies. Our nations are intertwined. Israelis are in the United States. Americans live and study and work in Israel. We're very, very intertwined. And, um, you know, we need to do everything we can to, get our hostages back. That's so very, very important. We need to be there to support American families who've lost loved ones. But the most important thing we can do right now is just stand with our ally Israel for the right to defend themselves against terrorism and send a message to anybody around the world who thinks they can invade a democracy without consequence that they're wrong. Senator Tim Kaine, thank you so much for joining me tonight. There's so much to watch on Capitol Hill tonight. The speaker's race, as you mentioned, the approval of aid for Israel and Ukraine, obviously a lot that we're going to continue to watch and report on on the ground in Israel. So really appreciate you joining me with all of your expertise this evening. And that does it for me tonight.